on this Sunday before the Lions have their, one of their biggest games ever. Uh, please join me in the prayer for illumination found in your bulletin. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and the word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. A lesson from the Gospel, Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit throwing him into convulsions and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rob. I'm going to invite all of our kiddos, if you would like to come forward and be with me and our Pastor Carol and Pastor Amy for a children's moment. Yeah, come on up. Come and sit with us. Hey, Dax, you want to come sit by me? Awesome. Like your shoes. Great. Okay, y'all, I know that for some of you, this might have been a long time ago, like way back to August, but maybe you switched schools this year here in January, so it's fresh. But can you remember your first day of class? Remember your first day of class? Do you remember some of the stuff that you do on your first day of class? What are some of the things that you do on your first day of class? You play, you make new friends, is that right? Oftentimes the teacher will show you around the classroom, is that right? And show you the different things that you're gonna do throughout the day. There's typically a schedule that you look at and you see what you're gonna do. Is this fresh in your memory of what you do on your first day of class? For adults, maybe your first day of work too? Yeah, Isla. Mm-hmm. I, I had a half, I have, I had a half school day. Yeah, like oftentimes it's so much that you get a half day. And is there any better sleep than that first night after school, right? I am typically so tired and I just sleep so well because the night before I'm kind of nervous. So today in the scripture hearing, uh, the scripture that we just heard, this is essentially the disciples' first day of class with Jesus. They've just begun to follow him, and they're seeing what he is all about. 
And in this moment, just like your teacher on your first day of class would tell you what you're going to do throughout the course of the year, Jesus shows his disciples what he is all about, and he's about healing and liberation. And the most amazing thing that I want you all to hear today is that Jesus doesn't only do that action and we watch, but Jesus trusts and he empowers you to be a healer and to bring about freedom for your friends. So maybe that looks like if you have a friend who's really sad, you're just there with them and you're present with them and you hold space with them. Or maybe if you're on a team and folks are struggling to share, you're the person that really shares. Or, you know, when we have things like Great Day of Service, that's a great opportunity for you to be a healer in our city and to be an active participant in what God is doing because it doesn't matter how young you are. You might not have even gone to kindergarten. Jesus is already empowering you and giving you the gifts that you need to be a healer in our world. So pay attention in class when Jesus shows up, okay? Great. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we are are so grateful that your son Jesus teaches with great power, but also with great simplicity so that we can really only understand him if we become like children. We pray that God, you would bless these children in their lives, that they might grow in love of you and love of neighbor. Amen. I'm going to invite our three, four, and five-year-olds, if you want to go with Pastor Amy and Pastor Maggie, and enjoy Children's Church. I'll have fun. Great. For those of us who are still here, we get to dive into some light reading from Mark's Gospel, and I invite you to pray with me. Good and gracious God, we give you great thanks that your word is fresh and new. And so I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, I might preach with Christ and that you might open up all of our lives to receive this new freedom that you give us in him. All of this we ask in his name. Amen. So if you are a, a new student or you're a new employee, regardless of where you are in life, it's a typical experience that you have that on your first day of work or first day of class, uh, you typically experience the same sorts of things. I remember when I was in college, we called it syllabus day because the professor typically would just go through the syllabus line item by line item to describe what the course would look like or what the expectations might be. If it's your first day of work, it looks a little bit different. Uh, you are often with an HR representative who walks you through your job description, who tells you how to do payroll, Uh, who tells you the expectations of what your work is going to be. So regardless of whether we call it onboarding or orientation or syllabus day, that same experience is one where we are sort of taking it all in. And if we're honest, sometimes we're scanning the room or scanning the job and we're wondering, is this really what I want to do for this season of my life? Do I really, if you're in a class, do I really want to subject my life to a semester with these people studying this stuff? Am I the only one that's ever felt that way? Okay, good. We're having some nods. We know what this is like. Friends, this is the moment in the disciples' life where Jesus is onboarding them to the mission of God. And if we're to read the Gospels as a field guide to leading 
in living God's mission, this is our onboarding too. We heard last week Pastor Carol preaching how there's this immediacy in the call of God that Jesus calls the first four disciples or students into mission with him. And especially we hear in Mark's gospel that uh, Peter and James and Andrew and John left with such immediacy when Jesus called them that James and John left their dad in the boat with the hired hands. I can't read this story without imagining that scene in Forrest Gump where Forrest Gump jumps out of the shrimp boat and it just crashes into the docks if you've ever seen that movie. So Mark wants us to know that's the immediacy with which these disciples are responding to the call of God when Jesus says, come follow me. And this moment that we witness in the Capernaum synagogue, this is the disciples' first day of class. And it's not happening in a lecture hall or it's not happening in the HR training room. It's happening in their hometown synagogue with the religious teachers and members of their community who help raise them in the faith. And it's frankly happening in the presence of a man who is so unwell that if they're honest, I would imagine the disciples would say that up to that point, they used everything in their power to avoid people like him. On this first day of class, both for the disciples and for us, Jesus lays out the syllabus for his course of healing, liberation. And in those first days, and maybe even today, you get that sense of wonder. You get that sense of awe and amazement. You get that sense of curiosity of really naming, what is this all about? And how do I see myself in a story that's about a man who was possessed by unclean spirits being healed and liberated and made well? Mark's gospel tells us that awe and amazement was the response of the crowds when they saw Jesus heal the man. And in particular, they are awed and amazed with Jesus's authority. That word authority, I'm sure, conjures up all sorts of feels in this congregation. I know it conjures them up in me. Maybe you're the type of person that you're drawn to authority. You like the clarity it provides. You want someone to set the vision and direct the course and name what's inbounds and out of bounds. Uh, maybe you're just the opposite. You like to wander into your own way and any external force telling you, no, you can't do that is not a gift. And I would imagine we have folks in our community here today who have experienced harm from the hands of authority. Someone who denied your rights or diminished your identity. Boundaries that excluded you. But wherever we are on this spectrum of our relationship with authority, it's important to recognize that in this moment, poll after poll continues to reveal that our American culture is in a place right now where we really question what authority we can trust. Can we trust government or large institutions? Can we trust supposed experts in their field? And if we're honest, after the years of abuse and maybe our own personal experience of trauma in the church, can we trust the authority of the church? 
Joel Marcus is a New Testament scholar who's now retired, and he defines this word authority as the ability to act in such a way that there is nothing to hinder your action. The ability to act in such a way that there is nothing to hinder your action. As in Jesus' teaching and authority is unhindered by the powers and principalities of the time or the expectations of the moment. We'll really see this as we follow Jesus in Holy Week as he goes into Jerusalem. He is speaking truth to the power and especially to the power of the empire of Rome. His teaching is unhindered. Jesus' healing is unhindered, even as this story of a man possessed by unclean spirits seems so far-fetched. Mark wants us to know that Jesus' authority is unhindered by even the most far-fetched of evils. Joel Marcus even remarks that this word authority was so often used in the context of its time as a word of anticipation for when God in the end of all days would come with decisive action to bring healing and justice and peace over all of the earth. Which is really a gift to imagine that word authority in this way. Because one of the helpful things it does for us is it liberates us from this reading of Scripture that has done great harm in the church and especially in our relationship with our Jewish brothers and sisters. Where it's Jesus is offering a new teacher teaching and those who follow the Jewish way of life are following an old or lesser teaching. Redefining authority in this way allows us to see that in this moment, Jesus is acting in a way that the Jewish people of God long anticipated, that with that decisive authority, he is bringing about healing and liberation. That in this moment, uh, the congregation is being swept up into the story of a God, the God of Exodus, the God who hears the cries of God's people, the God who heals our hurts, and the God who liberates us in love. And so, of course, the congregation is excited that this newness of God's teaching in Jesus is in their very midst because it means that the prophet's promise is finally being realized. Prophets like Isaiah. And for those folks who heard Jesus' teaching and witnessed him healing in Capernaum, and for those of us here in Nashville today, there's this great gift in proclaiming that Jesus' authority is the ultimate source of our trust. Because Jesus' authority, we're going to see this again and again across the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is always using his authority to empower, not overpower. Jesus is always using his authority to, to break down barriers and not build them up. Jesus is always using his authority to liberate and not to dominate. In fact, the, the thing that Jesus makes most clear on this onboarding day is that he will use his authority to tear down any barrier so that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And we'll see this across the course of his ministry as he connects unclean with clean, sinner with righteous, those on the inside and those on the outside around the table of fellowship that Jesus will use his authority to break down any dividing wall between us so that nothing should separate us from loving each other. 
And really the greatest wonder of it all, we could stop there and say, amen, that's great news. But really the wonder of it all is that Jesus' authority is not something that he hoards to himself. He freely shares it with us in his spirit. Later in Mark's gospel, he'll send out his disciples to go and heal in the region of Galilee. We'll hear in other gospels that at the end of his ministry, before he is ascended into heaven after the resurrection, he'll send his disciples to the ends of the earth to be agents of healing in all places, in every nook and cranny of creation. And in our baptisms, we celebrate that God is empowering us to resist evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves, that God is trusting us with the authority to be healers and to bring about liberation in our lives and in all of creation. And yet, I have found, and maybe you have found this too, that it is much easier much simpler to deny the authority Christ is giving us. To either blame those who have supposed authority. I, I can remember, I'm going to date myself here, but one of my favorite songs in high school was John Mayer's Waiting on the World to Change. Anybody remember that song? Waiting till the systems include me or waiting till the systems align how I want them to align before I'm actually participating in healing and renewal and liberation. And so we can blame those who we say have authority. Or I would say even sadder is that there's this power of shame that leads us to feel like we can't ever change, that we can't ever be different, that our situation will always be the same. And I appreciate how Lutheran Pastor Nadia Bowles-Weber, she shares from her own experience of really struggling with addiction over the course of her life, and in particular for a season of her life, living under the dominion of depression. And she reads this passage of scripture, and she connects the power of baptism with actually the power of exorcism. And she says that baptism is as powerful as exorcism. Which means that you, dear children of God who are baptized, you are clothed in the name of the one who demons fear. So claim that power. Claim that authority. Claim that authority within your own personal life. Uh, that language of demons and exorcisms, that's pretty extreme. I've not yet been called into that practice of ministry yet. Yet. And yet, I think we can all recognize moments in our life when it felt like we were living under the dominion of a power that was leading us to harm, to harming ourselves, to harming others, to not see the light of day. That power maybe of addiction that you just can't shake or the power of living in an oppressive relationship that is built on domination or abuse or the power of living in such financial debt that you have no imagination for a better life. The pattern of, pattern, uh, power really of greed, which leads you to feel like you have to push harder to get more and that nothing will stand in your way, including people. And I want us to hear today that wherever you are in your life, you might feel like as if you have no power, no agency, that the waters of our baptism are like an ever-present spring of agency and life and renewal. 
And that even if you're not baptized, God is always at work. It was in the hymn that we sang to open worship. God is at work in all of creation, empowering and liberating creation to live into God's hopes. The kingdom of God. And so that maybe claiming the power and authority God is giving you in Jesus is taking that first step towards sobriety and asking for help with a 12-step group. Or maybe it looks like having the humility to gather a community together to say, hey, would you help me by sharing some resources from, with me in this season when I'm in such great debt? Or maybe teaching me some practices or imagining with me what a better life could look like. And beyond our own personal lives or our communal life, how might we claim that authority to heal and liberate within our very city? From the very earliest of days in the church, even though Christians were often the most disempowered people within certain communities, they lived lives of empowerment because they believed that this authority Jesus gave them was real. And so Christians were the ones in their communities to start the first hospitals and to create the first networks of financial relief for the poor, to form the first communities and homes that cared for orphans. Christians, even when the government said, you have no power, lived an empowered existence and witness in the world. So might we do the same, y'all. In the face of so many health and wealth and housing gaps in our city, might we live as an empowered people and partner with the folks who are already doing great work. Might we commit to living lives of mercy and justice and actually advocate and really call those who do have authority by the law to change the laws. Might we live as a people who dream with our community about what it would look like for all people to flourish in this place. For it's important for us to name and to know today that Jesus does not provide for us an ordinary onboarding to our work. <laughs> Jesus calls us and he leads us right into the heart of God's decisive action. For truly, Jesus is trusting and he's empowering us with the authority, the authority to heal the hell out of creation until all of heaven breaks loose. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.